0: Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm joined by my good friends, Janice Bangler and Anthony Miller. We are on session 10 of Jack Kornfield's uh, Buddhism for Beginners. This one was on the elements. I, I told Jana before we started here, Anthony, before you jumped on, that I think we finally might have one that won't go that long. But I also think still important, too, to talk about these elements. Um, I was listened to it once through this morning, and then I was just listening to it a second time. And I think there are multiple ways to kind of frame these, and I I don't. I guess we could go through each one of them and see what your guys' thoughts are on each. But let's just talk about it generally. Why? Why is Jack pointing us to the elements? Why does Buddhism make a big deal out of the these? um, And and I say elements. That's probably the wrong word. It's these forces. So there's earth, uh, fire, uh, water, and air, and Buddhism wants to make a big deal out of these. And before we get kind of into each of these, let's talk about why. Cause I don't, I don't know that I really get that. And I kind of get that.
1: Okay.
0: Why are we talking about those?
1: So I have a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, Buddhism isn't the only wisdom stream to kind of try to break these things down into basic elements. Some of them have four, some five, some six. Um, and I think it's, in particular with Buddhism, there are a couple of um, ways that the Buddhist texts come at this. And one is um, as a method of um, of elucidating the concept of suffering. So, um, it's when we recognize that we are part of something bigger, when we recognize that we are part of nature, when we recognize that we are not just this lone creature um, on earth trying to make our way all by ourselves. There's, there's uh, something that happens to us where we feel bigger. We feel part of something and it, it tends to um, soften the suffering in our lives. And then the second thing that I got from this, and I think Jack spends a lot of time on this in this episode is it's also an object of meditation. Like there is a way that it helps us observe ourselves. And, you know, that's one of the big questions of Buddhism is, and and the big uh, mechanisms of Buddhism is looking at ourselves and what is our nature and who are we? And this offers a framework of a way to do that in meditation. That's what I got out of it. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. In prior episodes, Bill, you've referred to these different quotes from Eckhart Tolle. Uh, One is you are the universe expressing itself as a human for a little while or ultimately uh you are not a person but a focal point where the universe is becoming conscious of itself what an amazing miracle two two quotes from Eckhart Tolle I, I my my perception of those is those are a focus on our consciousness, whereas these elements, whether they're four or five elements, uh, the fifth being space, is focusing on the physicality of the realization of what Eckhart Tolle is talking about. Like we are stardust, right? We the the elements that w- that came to be so that we could exist. At one point, um, they existed. In the universe, as part of the the Big Boom and stardust, and and then eventually over time, these elements, uh, these these four or five elements, if you include space, that that's that's what we are. It just integrates this idea that we are part of the universe, having a conscious experience. And then I felt like as he goes through and talks about these things, he refers to birth and death as further manifestations of these elements, which when we look around ourselves and we see birth and death in nature, birth and and death and and the cycle and the seasons and so forth that happen with uh, these elements, then perhaps we can exist with a greater sense of connectivity and peace and that we're just part of this cycle for a period of time. Mm. Yeah,
1: I kind of like, he he quoted Kurt Vonnegut um, as saying from one of his poems that we're just mud sitting up, right? That's kind of what you're talking about with the, the universe. Um,
2: for a period of time. For
1: a period of time. And and aren't, aren't I lucky, Kurt Vonnegut says, I, I got to be lucky. I kind of felt like I was not doing so well when I look at how great God is. But then when I recognize that the rest of the mud didn't get to sit up like I did, I feel pretty good about myself. <laughs>
0: I yes. love that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you, you guys have already hit on it, but the—the the, I, w- I want to add kind of a concept to it, but I, I want to reiterate then what you just said, which is everywhere there is the elements. The elements are make up the entire universe. Like, if you look at the periodic table, that, that makes up everything. And yet somewhere there was earth, fire, water, air in the right proportion that suddenly the elements animated and suddenly the animated elements became aware and and the whole point of i think this ep- this episode or this conversation or this session with Jack Kornfield is to remind us that we really are one with everything and and it really is amazing like it's like they they talk about they talk about the statistical chance out in the universe that there is other conscious life and i forget what the name of that formula is but it essentially argues that there's no doubt statistically that somewhere out there there is, and there's a piece of me that wants to push back at that and go. This planet has been around for you know whatever it is billion a few billion years anyway, and in this planet's existence there have been billions and billions and probably trillions and trillions of forms of life, and whatever the magic is that makes the elements show up as consciously aware of past and future and able to plan and prepare and to think out. That didn't happen with all of them. It happened with just a handful of species. And maybe whatever it was that magically caused that to happen isn't something that can be easily recreated on other planets that do have water, earth, fire, and air in the proportion to support life. Like maybe there is something magical that happened at a moment in time, you know, 2.8 million years ago, where. Human beings just suddenly became something different than than the butterfly next to them. And maybe that can't be easily reproduced. And And so I, I get this, the science behind it. And I want to push back and say there is something different. Um, Jack says it at the end, and I'll probably mention it again at the end. But what a great mystery it is to be a human being. Um, anyway, I thought that was like you guys saying that reminds me of like how rare this is for us to be alive in this moment, even having a conversation that no other species on this planet could even contemplate or imagine. Um, the first one he talks about is earth. Any thoughts there? Anything about what What are your thoughts that come up when we mention earth?
2: Before he got into earth, he gives this example. He, he says the practitioner begins to recognize this body of, of attachment in terms of that. We are part of these forms of these elements. And then he says, it's like a butcher that, recognizes the bones and the cuts in his practice of his trade as a butcher and recognizes that that his existence matches those whether it's the thigh or the arm or the ribs or or or, or whatnot and and in going about life and recognizing that that we are just part of these elements part of the whole and so forth It gives us a sense of greater connection to these elements uh, as we recognize that we are them and they are us. And then like Jana uh, alluded to earlier, this then can get integrated into a meditative practice or just an increased awareness of how we connect to and are part of things. So with earth, he talks about earth as an element of both hardness and softness that we experience directly. Um, we are we are clay. We are minerals. Uh, like you mentioned the poem, we're mud that gets to sit up for a while. Um, it, he refers to um, going to uh, Mayan ruins and seeing the mud and the bones and so forth and refers to uh, a, a poem where the question is asked, which of these bones were the king? Because in the end, uh, all those that existed had these bones, and even the king's bones are the same as the others, and that's us too. Um, he talks about that we're made of earth. We are bones, and even our teeth are bones. And uh, we return to those elements, and it becomes more visible when we are born or when we pass away that we are part of the earth elements. We decompose after we die and we become part of the earth. And he talks about this cycle where um, as we die, our body begins to lose strength. It's like we're squished by a great mountain, you know, when we're buried and so forth, and we're drawn back into the earth. So I I just thought that those things were interesting because, you know, I, I, I know that, I've had many conversations with people, regardless of their faith tradition, that they feel an increased sense of spirituality or connection when they're out in nature, when they have their hands in dirt, when they're among the trees, and when they're you know out in the elements. And there's something about that experience that gives people a sense of connection to something that's greater than ourselves. And, and I think this is part of it. Is this sense of connection to the earth and the clay and the mud and the minerals that we are a part of?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I just came off of a, a seven-day silent retreat um, where I did a lot of meditation, and um, one of the things that that really struck me in what Jack said about this is that that when you are when you have your eyes closed and when you are sensing into your body. There is no solid body that you can perceive. And this kind of blew my mind for a minute, but it's, tr- it's really true. My sense of self of being a solid human being comes from my sight, really. When you close your eyes and you feel into your body, you don't feel one big object. You feel these elements. You feel um, sensation. It's the way that we're interacting with our environment. And to me, that just kind of blew my mind, and and I've 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 spent some time since <laughs> trying to sense my body as a solid object. It's hard to do, um, and and I think that's one of the magical things of meditation. And and struck when you're, you're talking Anthony about you know the the connection that people feel in nature. I mean, this particular um, retreat was held uh, just outside of Zion's Zion National Park. I mean, it's just absolutely mind-boggling beauty. Um, and earth elements around, all of these elements around, but the, the earth is striking in Zion National Park. And that was actually a, a big part of my meditative experience was, um, was, you know, at one point taking a hike to the upper emerald pools and just noticing that I was, you know, I, I am in my elements the same as all of this world around me. I just have the privilege of walking around. I can get up and move <laughs> a little easier than some of these other elements around me, but I had this experience of noticing just even the the symbiotic relationship if we talk about air um between me and the trees, you know? And I I was I was almost reaching out to them at one point saying, "Hey, give me your air and I'll give you mine," you know? This is this is we're we're sustaining one another's life i i'm literally part of all of this and there's something that happens when when you use when you start to notice as you said that we are part of we are literally part of a nature in a way that i think our consciousness tries to separate us our consciousness tries to to make us something different i don't know why it's taken me you know 48 years of my life to notice that i'm actually not physically different than the physical world around me. (laughs) But there's something, there is something very um expansive and calming and beautiful about noticing that. So yeah, so when Jack is talking about earth, he's talking about the elements, he talks about it as hardness and softness. Um, It's not just one particular thing. We're not just talking about the earth. We're talking about when you when you feel the parts of our bodies, the parts of us that are hard and soft. That is what we're noticing, and that is what they are calling Earth.
0: Yeah these uh, these Western ideas, um, and it comes, I think, in some of these monotheistic religions as well Christianity, Christianity, Judaism, uh, Islam, where you know the Earth is here first, and then God takes us from some other place and puts us here, and breathes the breath of life into us, and the Earth is our playground, and it, and it almost in Westernizing and in those monotheistic religions. There is often this distraction that this is this place that we're to use and utilize, and we never really get to sit with that we are it. We are the Earth. And to go another direction with it, it as you guys were talking about those concepts, it made me think like inside this body that isn't solid, that if we could get down to the microscopic level, there are entire, entire universes inside of us where microbes and bacteria and, you know, this and that are are also living and they're not even aware they're inside of a human body. They're just, they've got their own universe and to play around in and they're completely unaware. And so while we think like, oh, I'm a human and I'm alive and God placed me here and my job is to prove myself or go about doing tasks and meet certain requirements, it really it really does give us blind spots to not recognizing that there are entire processes outside of us and entire processes inside of us. Um, I remember reading a science article. I think I mentioned this in one of the earlier episodes, but there, I remember reading a science article a few years back where they science can now show that our organs have some degree of subconscious, not since I, I don't mean subconscious, like subconscious. I mean like a subcategory of consciousness to them. And the organs are also communicating with each other in ways that we have zero control over. Uh, through our brain and through our thoughts and through this consciousness that we think we're in control of ourselves, and and the liver is giving messages to you know that and this, and and it goes way above and beyond what we've been taught to think of how the world works outside of us and the world inside of us. And as you're pointing out, like all of these things are meditations to sit with and begin to take on different viewpoints. Of all of this at work, um, I'm I'm mystified. I'm fascinated, and sometimes it feels a little overwhelming too. Like I don't really have a way to put all of this in order and to understand it completely, and that can also be a little frustrating.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm struck by what you said there, Bill. But with you know what we do in Western society, and I think also in the the age we live in, we do all that we can to separate ourselves from nature. You know, I have, we, we build elaborate shelters and systems to keep myself away from the elements at all times. <laughs> and so, I, it does tend to bring this idea that we are something separate. Um, and it, it, it is, it, it is all mind-boggling to kind of try to comprehend and understand. And, but, but I think as, as objects of meditation, these four elements actually can be very helpful. I, during my retreat, um, I went on this retreat with Thomas McConkie, who has been one of my meditation teachers and, you know, I had some wonderful instruction on, on meditation and in ways to notice, to start to notice what's going on around us and our consciousness. And um, it just struck me how this is another way to, do what we were. Le- I was learning a different method there. There are all kinds of different streams of methods of connecting to the world around us. But at its core, I think that my sense was that Jack is using these four things: earth, air, fire, water, as ways for us to note what is happening, what what we are made up of, and notice that it's not materially different different from the world around us. And what it actually does is it helps us get into a different state of consciousness, and to really um, do what meditation is a tool an engineer to do, which is um, to, uh, to take away that separateness, which in effect helps, our, helps us with suffering in the world. And it's it's really it's really helpful as you're sitting and you're sitting for hours. <laughs> you know, Jack takes it, I noticed at one point in this he takes you through this and I was just feeling it because I'm just coming off of this. But when you start to sit for a while, first you're going to notice the body and the aches and the tightness and and you know your body starts to settle in and then your mind goes crazy and you start to you know your thoughts are going everywhere and it is really helpful to have a structure like this. To break it down, you know, Thomas McConkie breaks it, was using um, in this particular place uh, a way of breaking things down by senses, also, just by like, this is what I'm hearing, feeling, seeing. And this is another way of doing that. I'm I'm it's giving me a structure of four very definite things that are easy. It's 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 not some complex thing that I have to understand understand what amino acids are doing in my body. <laughs> it's something very simple that I can attach to and say, "Oh, I'm perceiving that that is actually earth. I'm perceiving this part of me, the 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 blood that is moving through me, the gurgles in my stomach. This is this is the water. I'm perceiving the breath going in and out. That is the air. I'm noticing the temperature of my body and that my body actually is a furnace generating, burning other elements and creating fire. So it's, it's actually a very helpful technique to have something very simple this way to touch into while you're sitting there because you know, before I started doing this stuff, if someone had told me I would sit for two hours at a time silently doing this, I would have thought you're insane. And and it seems like it should be so simple. You just sit, right? You know, just sit. Why do we need all the, all these technologies? But sitting is very, very complex. We Most of us, especially in the West, we can't sit for more than five minutes without driving ourselves absolutely insane.
0: Yeah. I, I love that, you know, you said your body is a furnace. Like, yes, you're your body is creating heat in and of itself, which is a pretty amazing, like like the rock isn't doing that, right? Like the rock just takes on whatever happens around it. And somehow the elements and these, these other things come together and produce a piece of the universe that can heat itself, which is what the universe has always done since the beginning anyway
1: mm-hmm.
0: is create ways to heat itself and cool itself. and
1: Yeah. And absolutely. And this is, this is, you know, it's one thing for us to talk about it, but when you experience it sitting on the mat, there is a different thing that happens when you breathe in through your nostrils and you notice that the air is cool and you breathe out and suddenly the air is warm. It's a very visceral reminder of that fact that we are a furnace.
0: Yeah. It, you know, goes into the second one of fire, which he says, uh, we are cooled stars and Man, I, there's a part of me that's really sad that my consciousness, my awareness of my chance to be on this beautiful planet in a miraculous way and to uh, be the, be this piece of mud sitting up as you guys have pointed to, that I don't really get, I, I kind of have a, a a kind of this non-tangible way of kind of understanding how we got to here. And um, whatever happens after, and I was with, some, maybe I'll do this. this. I was with somebody yesterday and, and we were talking about, it was you, maybe it was you when you stopped in the store. We were talking about the, was it us? We were talking about the future and it's unimaginable. Mm. Was, this, was this us? Uh, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. So I don't know who this was. I had a conversation recently with somebody and we were talking about the future and how the future is unimaginable. For instance, every time human beings sit down and try to plot out what the future could look like, when Gene Roddenberry come up with Star Trek, when when they wrote the movie Back to the Future, whatever expression of what the future was going to be we always miss the mark, right? We never know what it's going to be. And and the reality is that the future is unimaginable and the past is barely imaginable. And I'm sad that I get to live out my 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, not really getting to know how it all came together and where it all goes, right? Like I want to know what what happens to us what happens to humans what happens to earth what happens to life and and we don't we get to just participate in this little brief moment we are the cooled stars we are temperature the sun is our partner like this without the sun without temperature without water without air without all these things were we aren't either like we needed them to be and we needed them to be just as they are and if they were any different we wouldn't have been i, I don't know there's just a the magic to it that I think, at least for me, the idea is that as we sit with all of that, as you're pointing to in terms of meditation, as we just sit with these ideas, um, it makes us more joyfully accepting, um, more inclusive of life and matter
2: around us. Anyway, fire. Yeah, he he also refers to um, the heat within us also comes from burning plant and animal animal matter that we have taken within us which again alludes to this relationship and connection that we have with all things that if we didn't take in and consume plant and animal matter eventually our fire would go away right so it's all this connection to all these things the other thing that as i was listening to this session is um Bill, you, you talk about the angst that you know maybe we feel, and Buddhism talks about grasping and wanting and aversion and these other kind of forms of dysfunction. Um, it, it seems like as we become more aware of the elements of existence and draw ourselves into the current moment and that we are a part of all of these things and they're all interconnected, it seems to at least for a period of time, displace on the stage of our mind, these dysfunctions. Because it's hard to get a lot of angst about, you know, did I uh, back up into a tree and scratch my vehicle or something like that and and get all upset and have angst about that when I'm considering these elements that we're talking about? It displaces mm-hmm. it.
0: I don't remember if it was said earlier in one of the sessions I remember hearing the idea from some other place this isn't an original thought but you talk about like us eating to be alive like how many chickens had to die so that you could still be here and that's just chickens right like consider how much life had to pass away so that you could live out your time and it almost is tragic isn't it it's almost sad and like is my life worth... Ten chickens. Is my life worth a hundred chickens? Is my life worth a thousand chickens? How many chickens is my life worth? And uh, I, man, it, it again. It's that idea of being thankful and grateful that, for whatever reason, you're the thing that gets to be at the top of the food chain and gets to live out a life and gets to think thoughts and wrestle with ideas and write books and do podcasts and right. Like it is pretty marvelous.
1: It's marvelous and it's a double-edged sword too, right? <laughs> we yeah. probably also suffer in ways that other um, life on the planet or other other elements that are organized in different ways maybe don't have to experience. It's hard It's hard to be human. Thomas said that several times this week. It's echoing in my head. It's hard to be human. In so many ways, it really is. Um, one of the things about fire that I noticed is, you know, he talked about it in these these um material gross ways of this our bodies are a furnace and you know we are uh, we are cooled stars we are sunlight congealed all of those ways and then he also talked about it and I and I think all of these elements can be done this way I don't I don't think that the Buddha was necessarily just trying to explain the physicality of things but it's also on a more subtle realm the the, the fire that we experience in our lives in um, sometimes in the form of Um, of our grasping or fear or anger, like you can, you talk about those, you feel the fire of some of that emotion and some of that experience and how noticing the fire and those subtle ways within ourselves is also a path to freedom. Because a lot of the times those are the types of of experiences that we are wanting to get away from. And uh, if in sitting with the fire in sitting with them, noticing it, it's how we learn to process it and let it go. Um, much like we are, our bodies are processing food and creating the fire and letting it go. You can when when you can see it in a physical way and experience this as a as a fire element in a physical way. It also helps you process the subtle experience and emotion that we all deal with in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you're connecting dots there that. Yeah, other life mm-hmm. on this planet hasn't had to d- other life on this planet certainly endures trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Even 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 inanimate objects, the, the rock in the in the river stream yep. is getting beat upon every day. The again I mentioned before, trees that are smaller than other trees, and one tree's blocking out its sunlight. Like that's there's trauma. And oh, yet yeah. us humans have to carry the mm-hmm. the story of our trauma mm-hmm. with us. And that is an added burden that other things maybe don't and other and some other things absolutely don't have to deal with.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the the world is inherently violent, right? It yeah. it is. It's, it's it's something that we don't really want to think about or look at, but the world is inherently violent and we're all trying to shield ourselves from that in aren't all we, the ways.
0: Aren't we all drawn to like when you're watching a, you know, documentary National Geographic and there's always these scenes that are out in the Sahara and uh, not just when it's the drought, but all of a sudden the water comes, and now there's the drinking hole for the animals, mm-hmm. and and the rhinoceros shows up, and the lion shows up, and the alligators are in the water, and the 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 whatever animals that look like deer that are living there are over by, and and to watch all of these animals try to get their needs met, and they're just doing their job right, and they're mm-hmm. and it's all it's all tenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, there are baby animals, and you're like, oh, don't eat the baby animal, and baby animals get eaten because they're the weaker, like it is, I think our, I think we're all drawn to those moments where life is precarious mm-hmm. and tenuous and anything could happen at any moment. And and then we quickly watch that for 40 minutes and now we go back to our life and try to pretend we have control of everything. Right? <laughs> exactly. It is, it is crazy.
1: And it's one of the things that I think humans have wrestled with since we've had consciousness is how do we interact with that? We have the privilege of being a little more choiceful about how we enact violence in our world. And yet we're doing yeah. so, so unconsciously, right?
0: Yeah. We have inserted a degree of the illusion of control by <laughs> somewhat stepping out of the normal food chain. Yes. Right. Even even the idea, I think you guys mentioned this earlier in one of the sessions, even, uh, I think it was you, Anthony, that mentioned like, we get to go to the grocery store and just buy ground beef and we just go like, there's ground beef, look at that. And if we had to sit with what our ancestors had to do to get to the point to have the meat to use, we might be a little more selective of what we kill and what we don't and how much we really need to get by. Like the actual taking of life in the moment that the life suddenly is not there might have us being a little less gluttonous, right? A little less um, disposable of the things that we don't eat. I don't know. I just, again, there's just all these concepts here that are fascinating.
1: For sure. And I think this is why, I. It, it, this is one reason why um, I think this, you know, Buddhism and return to nature and all of these things is so fascinating to the Western world and the Western culture right now is because we have so systematically pulled ourselves out of the food chain, pulled ourselves out of, out of the elements. And so, I don't know, this, this, um, this episode of, of Jack's Dharma talk really did get me thinking about that and being on this meditation this week just how much we have pulled ourselves out of that but there is something very natural and I think that's why we're I think we're all starved of that nature. We're all starved of that communion of the the earth that birthed us. and so um, I, I really loved this episode and that reminder to to pull us back to that that if you're sitting in meditation in your nice house that's you know out of the elements, can we recognize and come back to those elements and recognize how we are not materially different?
0: Yeah. And things like pandemics remind us, right? That, <laughs> oh, like we're not in control. Like, oh, I could catch this thing that I have no control of catching and and maybe I die. Oh, man. Okay, water. Um, I don't really have many notes here. I get it. Like, again, every one of these is crucial and any one of them in any too great of a degree of difference and we're not. Any specific thoughts here with water? I, I, I do remember him saying, Jan, as you pointed out, the systems inside us are liquid as well. Um, any thoughts there from you guys?
2: Um, he, ta- he talks about water being the blood that flows through our veins, our tears. It's the makeup of our life. Even our eyes are balls of water. And then I wrote down this uh, quote where he says, for the raindrop, joy is entering the river. And uh, which is kind of representative of many of these other elements. It's this recognition that we're part of the greater whole and the raindrop came from the moisture that went into the clouds that then ends up going to the river and it recycles. Right. Um, And he talks about the water leaves us as we die. What the water element is returning to water as we die Um, and talks about to feel the Tao Of and the fluidity of all of these things as water being part of us
1: Mm. Mm. yeah one one of the things that jack did in this is he talks about each of these i noticed in kind of polarities um so water he talked about as cohesiveness or fluidity you know it's the the level of how uh how stable we are versus how fluid and moving it's it's a it's an element of movement um you know in fire he talked about cool or warm in earth he talks about hardness and softness and when we get to air he talks about about movement or stillness but with water it's cohesive or fluidity (laughs) um and i i think that polarities um you know they crop up all around us all the time and we're dealing with that it can be we most of us think in very dualistic ways and sometimes that can be a useful way to connect in to any given concept um, but yeah I, I don't know that he spent a ton of time on the water um, in this episode but it's really just the nature of things um, you know I, I'm struck by all of these things water, earth, fire air we, we wouldn't be able to live without any of them I mean Water is one of the basic, they're just absolutely crucial and makes up a giant percentage. I can't remember exactly what percentage of our body is water, but it's like 80 something percent, isn't it? He said 85. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, It's a huge part of our, of our makeup.
2: And I think of, I, I think of human beings and our connection with water of, you know, being in a canoe or a kayak on a river or sailing, you know, out in the ocean and, And that as human beings, we have this sense of, it's common to have a sense of connection or even spirituality of this connection with the water being on the water while recognizing that it can take us to, um, it's a very interesting element, uh, in our sense of connection and existence. Mm -hmm. Man, good stuff. You two.
0: Um, all right, the last one is air. And, uh, you know, this idea you mentioned, Jana, the stillness. That's kind mm. of what I think. Air is the space in between all the other things. And, and as you point out, these four elements are not only to be thought of and meditated upon in their literal form, but they also have symb- symbolism to them. And the idea that, for instance, when we talk about meditation, air to me is very symbolic of the space between our thoughts. Right, it's it's that moment where nothing is present because even though air is a thing, it, it to the human not being blown by the wind. If it's it, if it is just still, it, air feels like nothing, mm-hmm. and so there are places to go in our head to meditate meditate upon the, the nothingness or the stillness or the emptiness or the spaces. And there's such a chance to kind of think about these things in so many other ways. And you guys have hit on so many of them through here. It just Again, we started off. I said, like, I think this is the episode that'll go short. And now here we are, twelve minutes to go, and it seems like there's such depth to this stuff that you don't even know it when you start. Um, anyway, I, that's all I've got on air, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts.
2: So, so he talks about air as the cir- circulatory system of the planet. Mm-hmm. That were it not for air, um, there there couldn't be life on the planet. There there just would be. It wouldn't carry moisture. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. Uh, if, if there wasn't wind, it, you know, there, there, there wouldn't be vegetation. It's all part of the whole. But the other thing that I thought about when I thought of, so, so we alluded to this so far that in Western culture, a lot of these element things uh, are are treated or considered very differently. So this idea in Abrahamic religions that all these things were created for us and they are given to us and we dominate them as opposed to us being part of them, right? It's a very, very different construct in the Abrahamic religions uh, versus uh, this Buddhist uh, or Eastern thought. But one place where there is a connection is with error because in the Abrahamic religions, breath is what life is so adam and eve have breath put into them and that is what life is and and much of the symbolism in the hebrew bible that it relates to god it has to do with wind and breath and air as the manifestation of the divine and uh those are some of the thoughts that came to my mind as i was listening to this uh section on the element of air and wind good stuff
1: yeah, that that um reminds me of some a teaching from the living school um from Richard Rohr where he talked about um the that Yahweh, you know, the name for the Hebrew God was literally breath. And we do a meditation, the Yahweh meditation where it is it, the, the the letters are enunciated so that you can breathe the name of God. And so he, he'll have us do this. Yah. like you actually breathe, literally breathe the name of God. So that just made me think of that when you said that, Anthony. Um, But yeah, I I just noticed that most uh, streams of meditation, uh, whether it's from uh, a a, a yogi tradition, Buddhist tradition, contemplative Christianity tradition, all of these um, methods of meditation and contemplation all come down to the breath. This is like such a primary element when it comes to um, to the, the discipline of contemplation and stillness. Um, it's actually paying attention to that moving air that is moving through us because it's such a constant a- anchor and, um, and, as you said, symbol of the divine and necessity for life, the most immediate necessity for life that we have. Um, and so almost every meditation practice that I know of uses that as a a primary anchor it's one of the first things you learn is to pay attention to the breath
0: yeah if any one of those elements were to proverbially dry up and go away air is the first one we would notice huh immediately yeah Hmm.
2: and and birth is the symbolism of birth is and and life is when the newborn child cries right and expels the air and the symbol of death is when the breath stops it, it, it's it's so enmeshed in the existence of living a birth and death uh, air is part of it mm-hmm. mm. oh,
0: what a great mystery being a human being is any uh, any concluding thoughts and uh, otherwise uh, we can wrap up here and man i I don't know that I'll do it this week, but sometime here in the near future when we get done with this, I want to go back and just listen to you guys again. And just some of the stuff that's come out in these sessions of you guys uh, helping me talk about this series. Uh, I really do. Again, again, you know, you can have your own beliefs about what books or podcasts that have been helpful, but I think Jack does such a good job of laying it all out in as quick of a way as possible, but in real deep depth that I just couldn't leave it by itself. Um, any concluding thoughts from you guys?
1: Um, I'll just say, you know, I, I was struck in listening to this that, you know, at the time of the Buddha, it's not as if we had uh, nuclear science or understanding of of really the, the deeper elemental makeup of our reality. Um, and yet what they did have was an observation of life, the life cycle, um, you know, being of birth and death and all of our elements going back to the earth and you know really all the science that we have had since um adds detail to that um but really these these elements not as the most primary elements we don't have to get that derivative of it but they still stand and there's a there is this wisdom and connection to it that i really appreciate that's that these pieces that still stand just from observation of what the world is and what we are, it still stands. And, um, you know, nature connection to nature has been really a a very important part of my spiritual practice and and spiritual awakening. And um, as we're talking, as he's talking about birth and death and everything, and as I imagine it, the more I, the further down this path I get, the more I really, really do not want to be buried in the the normal Western uh, way of having my body embalmed and preserved and stuck in a box. I really have this deep, deep desire for my elements to return into the earth and mingle with what I came from.
0: Mm, Yeah, and it's only an illusion anyway, right? We embalm it to make it last a couple hundred more years, maybe parts of it. Yep. And yet in the end, a thousand years from now, it returned to the earth anyway, including yeah, maybe it the It takes box, a
1: lot longer like, when yeah. you put it in the box. Right. I don't want to be in the box. Like, that's what that's I mean, fine. though. Like it's
0: an illusion too. It's just to comfort us <laughs> and say like, oh, we're going to stay in my physical form until uh, the resurrection happens. And the reality is a thousand years from now, that story is just as much BS as any other, right? Yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, Anthony.
2: Yeah, I just uh, this has been really helpful. Uh um I can tell that it's been a couple of weeks since I've listened to a session of of this audiobook. Um, as I was experiencing some angst and and concern and complexity in my life that it w- it was just helpful to return to this. And like Jana is referring to it, it's so incredibly interesting the almost sacred nature of some of these ideas that have been around for millennia, longer than Christianity, uh, longer even than the Abrahamic faiths and religions, that they continue to provide an enduring sacred value or a prism through which you look through and experience life, and even as science and progress continues, many of these principles are s- sacred to the extent that they continue to provide value going forward. And and so I'm I'm grateful uh, to participate in these things. And I and I would encourage people to consider um, whatever meaning you attribute to the word sacred. That that some of these things, to the extent that you consider them and ponder them, and then employ them into your life, they they are sacred and the experiences in doing so are sacred too.
0: Yeah. Just to say one more thing, which is you hit on this, Anthony, this idea that um, I, I have a concept in my mind that religion always oversteps what is known and it lays out stories and concepts and principles. And then science comes in and says, we know more now you were wrong again. And there's something about, this Eastern wisdom that it got it right before the science could actually say it existed. And I'm really impressed by that. There's something to this, this Eastern tradition stuff that the idea of it existed before the actual evidence of it could be proven. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that other than just maybe let that hang there.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's less based on, on myth. And more based on observation. Really, Buddhism is. that The whole point of it is to get to reality, right? It's to not tell ourselves the stories, to see through all of that. And and, uh, and nothing wrong with story and myth. It's very powerful and helpful. But they, I think when, one without the other maybe isn't complete.
2: Hmm. There, there's a online group that I'm in and... Uh, this month, uh, there's an online book club where we're reading and talking about Reza Aslan's God of Human History. And And in that book, uh, Aslan goes through and talks about the history of human beings experiencing a sense of connection and spirituality. But then over time, what we tended to do as human beings is form God in our image. So it was it was a from us to divinity, an attribution of characteristics of ours to nature, to divinity, to existence, to God. So we formed God in our own image, basically. And and as you both were talking about these things, I think that's a difference here in this Eastern thought is instead of human beings projecting their characteristics or attributes to the divine to the outside this was the opposite direction where where these where this wisdom came from the observance of what existed outside and then attributing that to us instead of the other way around a very very interesting different uh perspective and development of meaning and wisdom and knowledge
0: And, and no wonder on the former why god would be a jealous god and a genocidal god and a homophobic god and hate left-handed people right right and and in the latter no wonder it would be more inclusive and accepting and loving yeah and realizing we're all we're, we're all something that's connected so let's treat each other well and fair and let's reduce some suffering in the world yeah yeah thank you what a great mystery being a human being is yes okay you guys have a beautiful day and uh I'm always amazed at how good these conversations are. Thank you so much. You guys are such smart uh, people, smart humans. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Have a great day.
2: See ya.